You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, guys, welcome to another Land Legacy Habitat Heroes podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us once again. This is Adam Keith and Matt Dye, and we are back. And Adam, uh, golly, it's been a couple weeks since Matt and I have been together for a podcast. Uh, well, <coughs> funny story. I guess you didn't. I don't know if you shared it last week or not. I uh, I think I just said that you were sick and down and out. Yeah, I, I didn't want to give any details because it was a little unknown right there at that point too. Um, what the heck was going on with you? Yeah, so last week when we we kind of record our podcast, not because of planning, because it's very ill planned. Uh, not that we don't care, but it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time. We for some this time of the year, not for some reason. It's it's definitely there's a reason why we're super busy this time of the year, and and this has been one of the best years ever for us. Um. As far as the consulting business Wildly goes, busy. I think so we added know. our 25th or 26th it's state. 26th. 26th state that we have been to and consulted on since the creation of Land and Legacy. So that was basically two years ago. Um, that So we're just over two years, and we've already been in 26 states. <laughs> Uh, and it's like over 30,000-some yeah, acres. I, honestly, after last week, it's about 35,000 acres now. So uh, huge thanks to you guys. That just As you know so <laughs> far, our biggest advertisement and the biggest source of getting our information and our message out there. Uh, and I almost feel a little bit uh, prideful when I say that. It's not prideful, but our message, I, I don't feel like we have this. It, it's a little bit. It, I, I hope people don't take it this way when I say this, but it's not necessarily our message. But unfortunately, um, no one else is saying no, this. Nobody stuff. else <laughs> is really saying this stuff. There's a few people, but when, as far as consulting goes, and especially whitetail consulting, uh, we definitely have a unique way of um, land management. As you guys know, I mean, if you're new to it, in short terms, we try to replicate nature. Uh, very naturalist minded and uh, we do what's best for the land and a side benefit of that is healthier deer not focusing on deer but focusing on the land and so we've been 26 states 35,000 ish give or take uh, in two years and so a huge thanks to you guys podcast has been our number one way to reach you guys number one way for you guys to share it so huge thanks to you guys. Uh, we've dropped the ball on several things over time. Our apparel line has been somewhat slow. It's been a headache, but we're coming around. We're getting things sorted back out. We haven't done giveaways like we said we were going to do. We haven't given away hats like we said we were going to do. Um, a lot of stuff going there. Videos are, it's are coming. not as consistent as what, what we want, but coming. It's all a work in progress. And yeah, for sure. And videos are definitely a new thing coming in 2019 as far as the format, the the consistency, um, more how to, uh, more how tos, more information than last year. Last year's uh, stuff was amazing, um, but not the information we want to keep sh continue sharing. So we're doing something a little bit different this year. 
so check out all of our social media and YouTube uh, to see exactly what we have going on because that's going to happen. As soon as we can get through consulting season and I can get reports done, you can get reports done, you're going to start seeing more videos coming. Uh, especially during turkey season because part two of our podcast this week or the other podcast for love of the land has got seth harker and trace harker on there and successful hunt i watch the footage awesome stuff Um, so you guys are going to see that really soon Um, turkey season oh i I, I didn't even boy i am adhd so last week (laughs) for for you guys so for you guys um (laughs) I ended up in the hospital uh, for a day, half a day. I uh, thought my appendix ruptured, went to the uh, urgent care. They tried to send me via ambulance to the emergency room because they thought my gallbladder was rupturing um, or whatever your gallbladder does, burst. <laughs> they thought it was bad. Something's and, uh, happening with that gallbladder. So ended up what we believe it was was a horrible case of salmonella. Uh, and so got me on some meds, and four days later I got my voice back after throwing up horrible, worst throwing up I've ever done in my life. Got my voice back, and thankfully it's back to where you guys wouldn't have to hear me talk the way it sound and it hear the way I sounded. It would have been a about like this. Hey, guys, this is Adam. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> and then every once in a while you get a real high squeaky one yeah. come cracking through. It was bad, bad, bad. So anyway, I'm back and at it uh, now. But so it's weird when I was in Kansas. Luckily, had cell phone service because usually my wife doesn't call like during the day, especially she was at clinicals. And I get a call. I'm like, what? In the world? Why is she calling? She should not be calling. Uh, Adam said it to the hot. Wait, what? Bring me up speed on everything. So yeah. it was like a whirlwind well that was the uh, first time i've been in the hospital since i was born and uh one of the <coughs> first times my wife has seen me sick in five years we've been together so it was a bad deal but i'm better uh we're headed to a somewhere in the midwest another consult here in the midwest one of our favorite states of work one of our favorite properties or areas of the country Definitely to see areas of the country um Oof. and so big buck capital big buck place and uh it's going to be a lot of fun but turkeys are on the brain for a lot of people including us without a doubt it's it's opened up in florida georgia mississippi tennessee um oklahoma texas south carolina a lot of states are at it and man there's a lot of friends on social media who are posting pictures and getting after them turkeys and having a blast taking kids and You'll hear in the other podcast this successful hunt we had actually just yesterday, but this is an incredible window. Um, obviously, we're, we're leaving winter. We're getting into spring. Spring greenup is here. Red buds are starting For to For most pop. of us. Yeah. I saw where there's uh, snow coming in Minnesota. Good Lord. No, thank you. Um, and we're, what we're getting close. There's this big transition happening. Um, but with the excitement of turkey season – comes the the knowledge that we have to have to basically rec- make recommendations to improve turkey numbers we're experiencing lower turkey numbers in a, our area a, a lot of places in the yeah. country i know like the northeast is talking about 60 percent declines in the last 20 years or something ridiculous when i when i was growing up in virginia all i wanted to do was go hunt new york the state of new york Mm-hmm. Because it was like the, if you will, the Iowa for deer in the Midwest. It was loaded, jam-packed with turkeys. And growing the up, East it was like... Coast people. Yeah. Because I, mean, I promise you, nobody golly. in Missouri was talking about going to New York. To I guarantee they were. It was <laughs> A few. that. It was that good. But um, once again, Missouri was amazing back in those days as well. Uh, I remember at one point in the late 90s, early 2000s, when you, NWTF, their, uh, whatever their magazine was called, I forget what. Turkey it, Country. Turkey Country. And they would always give reports. And Texas is huge, obviously. And Missouri is, I don't know, half the size. I don't even think it's and, that. And, uh,. There was just as many. There was half a million turkeys in Missouri and half a million turkeys in Texas. Wow! They were the number two, number one, and number two state in the states in the country for turkey populations. And uh, 
I mean, my gosh, there was birds everywhere. And it wasn't anything for us to go out and hear 20, 30 birds on really good mornings. And, uh, I mean, you've you've heard that phrase. And I'm talking to our listeners. You guys have heard those phrases. Maybe you've said it yourself of, man, there was a morning's use to go out and hear this many birds. And then you had other guys say, oh, you, you know, turkeys aren't what they used to be. But then you have other areas where people like, we're infested with them. They're an invasive species. I've heard that one a couple <laughs> yeah. here this year. Um, and I said, sign me up. But for the most part, let's go on average, turkey numbers are, have declined. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about northeast. And, and then uh, trying to think of the other area that comes to mind. Tennessee. Tennessee numbers are lower. Um, down I, believe, south, I believe South Carolina, too, has lim- lowered their limit from five birds to four birds, I believe, Yeah. in the past couple of years. And then, uh, of course, Missouri. Uh, so probably five years ago, everybody was talking about not many birds in northern Missouri. Now they're talking about not many birds in southern Missouri. And, uh, you know what that means? Just not that many birds in Missouri. In the, not <laughs> not that as many, birds. many. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, shoot, a couple places come to mind. Uh, where they're just filthy with them, and then mm-hmm. other places, my family farm, and, and I said this a lot as a kid or as an adult talking about as a kid is, when I was growing up, I would have put my farm, my area up against anywhere in the country, and saying I don't know how you could have more birds than what we have here, and I'll still stand by that and say it was unbelievable as a kid, but we hunted there two years ago. And I don't remember if we killed a bird there. I think we haven't killed one. We didn't kill one last year. And then my well, dad, killed, did, one dad last killed one last year. Last year. Uh, yeah. And it was yeah. the only time we hunted down there. Yeah. We because just left alone. we just wanted to leave them alone because we had two years of really, really bad wet springs and horrible hatches. And it just hadn't been that many birds. Yeah. And it's really hard. I think that's where you have to understand or question yourself on do you love turkey killing more than you love the pursuit or turkey in general i love the turkey in general so therefore i have a really hard time going to shoot a turkey when there's just not that many of them out there the uh, what you're talking about describing right there uh, kind of works seamlessly if you if you listen to the for love of the lamb podcast and the conversation that that Seth and i had uh, falls very, very uh, similar to that. And it's just looking to see, understanding your habitat, that being in tune and in touch with hatches in the past years to know how many turkeys generally are on the landscape. And there's a lot of things that we're going to discuss today that, that cover the basis as, okay, here's what we can't control, and that's Mother Nature, but here's what we can, and that's our land and what it has on the landscape on acres. And if we have what we need for turkeys at every portion of their life cycle from being born, hatched, all the way up to being adult turkeys, we're going to have turkeys when the weather cooperates. Yeah. And if we hunt them smart, honestly, we're always going to have a population. They're always going to be there. We might just have to scale back how intense, you know, we, we may harvest from every now and then. And that's, that's the phase we're in right now. And shoot, we were talking about it. My gosh, there's a there's been a lot of habitat work right there in, in the core area that we hunt a lot in the past couple of years to improve turkey numbers, um, and I think we're getting we're getting back. Your 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 dad said he's been hearing some turkeys gobble, um, and he said the turkey the woods were rolled over with turkey scratching that he that he's walked in and kind of scouted. So that's right. I think we're getting there, but you still have to have that habitat to support them, and decent hatches and 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 that's the great thing about turkeys as well as quail is if you have a couple bad we had a couple bad hatches it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot but if we have one or two good years of good hatches it'll it'll be right back to normal springboarding right back there correct you know i I don't remember the exact percentage of, of turkey nests success and failure but it's pretty it's it leads farther on the right side of failure than success and then and then the same thing goes from hatching all the way up to bringing that bird into you know a fall hunting season a juvenile turkey however it, it just goes back to a numbers game the more turkeys you have on the landscape to be able to have you know a decent hatch year you're going to have certainly 
multiple groups, pulse get to that juvenile age where they're sustainable and can live fine. That's right. It's just the first few weeks of life are incredibly, incredibly sensitive. Um, and we just got to do our part as a land manager, as a land owner, to make that improvement. So uh, growing up, um, southern Missouri, Wright County is where I, I live. Douglas County is where my farm is at. Wright County is one of the top counties in the state for dairy farms. Yeah. Uh, not many dairy farms around there anymore. Um, every, everybody knows the story with dairy, the dairy industry. Banks um, aren't even loaning on dairy operations anymore. So th- this is something that has been a constant question people have asked me. Um, and, and it wasn't until recently uh, of where I believe I know now what the difference is. And uh, bear with me because uh, first I'll give a little bit about what Matt and I, kind of how we look at things in the land. And this might be why we look differently or sound differently than people you may have heard in the past. Not trying to um, put, down anybody. put down anybody. But I'm just... Uh, we talk a little bit differently. It's a different perspective. And so a lot of that comes down to, but why? And the the reason we ask, but why, is because there's been things that have been said for everyone's entire life. Uh, as a kid, your dad or your grandpa told you things. Um, neighbors told you things. Old timers told you things. And as you get a little older, it's hopefully important that every one of us go, but why? But but instead of hearing that, instead of hearing that as truth, we say, okay, that's that's a matter of opinion, a matter of uh, observation. Observation. Anecdotal. There's a good chance if they experience it, yeah, it's probably got some truth to it. But don't take everything as the gospel or as the cold hard truth. And well, uh, that's not scientific based. That's not scientific based. It's, it's good to keep that childlike mentality when you're getting information from people and always be the one asking questions. Well, why or how do that research and figure out what's what's the truth behind that statement? Is there something that I can I can take hold of there and believe and, and don't always try to transfer one experience of one individual to all the rest. I think that's where we all, all fall victim to. Oh, well, he experienced that and I'm experiencing something you know, similar, my numbers are down. What's well, got to be that? Probably not. <laughs> There's so many different factors that fall into these things. We can't just apply one phrase to the entire country. And and there's certain things, even with scientific research, where some studies will say X, Y, Z, because there's an agenda behind that. Um, and, and the reason I say this is because some research people will say coyotes have shown to cause a decline in deer populations in in one part of the country. While another study will say that through trapping and all this, uh, uh, trapping and shooting, that they showed no signs of affecting the coyote population. And actually the coyotes had a, uh, a positive impact on game game birds or nesting game birds um and to where some guys will tell you predator populations cause a decline in game speed in prey species numbers while other research may show that it actually benefits a different one um and so there's different agendas out there and you have to take everything and understand um really it comes down to Let's just understand what was native, what the what, how the land was most beneficial. That's where we try to stand and sit. Now we may not always sit there, um, as far as there may be some things where we kind of tweak or do certain things, or instead of looking big picture, we micromanage on our own farms or on your own farm. Um, but that's really the the set of and, and uh, principles that we, we try to run one off. One little of. one little step further, and it's it's understanding the natural habitat. But then understanding the needs of that animal that you're trying to promote from, yeah. from, from the very basic start of things, whether it's a, a quail to a turkey to a deer to a gray squirrel, you've got to understand what that animal needs every single portion of its life. If you don't have it, 
to some degree, they're never going to be there in prolific numbers, great numbers, huntable numbers, whatever it is. You've got to have every, every stage and basis covered to promote that animal species. Yes, because there's, I mean, there's even there's even people out there with with research that still have an agenda of things they want to try to mm-hmm. um, promote. So keep everything with a grain of salt. And biggest question, but why? Uh, I feel pretty doggone confident. Actually, about ninety nine point nine percent, unless somebody comes to me with something I wasn't aware of that that our ideas, our principles of land management, I could take it and explain it in more detail to hopefully show why I believe that way rather than just whatever. I'll, I, I'll I have this. an agenda because I want more whatever. I want to see more coyotes because I had a pet one as a kid. <laughs> I didn't have a pet one as a kid. I don't love coyotes, but I actually like coyotes. I'll say that because they're you native species. And, uh, and we're going to have a uh, – We'll recommend some books in the future. Uh, one of them, obviously, Sand County Almanac. Um, yeah. Golly, it's such a good book. Hadn't read it in years. Read it recently. Recommend it to every single one of you. Um, the man, Aldo Leopold, people, uh, he's considered the, the founder of wildlife father management. Of and uh, you know what? Doggone it! I wish we'd. Re- I wish more people. It should be mandatory. If you buy a chainsaw, you should. You're, you're trying to do something on your land. You should read that book because his mindset is what we should all be thinking about. Uh, conservation about is the harmony of land between. Uh, it, conservation is the harmony of land and man. Um, and he says something about you can't basically praise or preach uh, or raise up your right hand to honor while chopping off your left hand it's the same thing as you can't um you can't love prey species and hate predators and it's just uh it's so so uh we're so far off that anymore and uh i would encourage every one of you san county almanac um i was gonna say we should just make it mandatory that every podcast listener we won't be able to enforce it it's like a bad parent but every podcast listener has to listen to it before they can listen. To I mean, read it before they listen to the next podcast. Yeah, uh, it's that important. That's right. I'll tell you right now. I've got the I've got a hard copy right now, and first person to listen to this and leaves a review on our YouTube channel <laughs> or not a not YouTube. <laughs> so how how are they going to do that? <laughs> They can leave a comment on YouTube, yeah. subscribe, but the first person to leave a review on our Land and Legacy uh, iTunes iTunes account, if you leave it, and uh, however you leave it, then shoot us a message on Facebook um, and leave us, a, actually, leave a review, and it could be the same review, on iTunes, and then leave a recommendation or review on our Facebook, Facebook page. page. I'll send you the book if you haven't read it yet. Heck, maybe you want it even if you have read it. I'll send you the book, and uh, I'll have Matt sign it so it devalues it. Yeah, uh, I, I'll actually, I won't sign it, but I'll just do, like, I'll paint my hand and then stamp it in there. There you go. Like you'll kindergarten. Sign, you'll sign X. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, me, guys. <clears throat> so, I say all that about uh, but why, because some of this, it, it, as far as I've, I, I've had this discussion with a lot of farmers over the years, of saying, okay, well, why are you doing all? You do all that work down there, but there's still more cow, or there's still more turkeys up there on so and so's dairy farm. And I'm like, oh. it kind of always stumped me. What the, what in the world? What the heck is going on up there? Why are there always turkeys? Um, and so I'll say this about the dairy dairy farm analogy. Dairy farms they bring their their cows, bring them into the uh, milk barn, maybe probably twice a day, maybe once a day. They're coming up into the barn at some point, and they're not getting too far away from that barn during the day. So they're not really going into the woods. One thing I noticed over the years of hunting dairy farms, the woods were a lot thicker. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more young forest. There's a lot more understory, a lot more nesting habitat. But at the same time, farmers are always feeding those cows grain. They grain. So they're graining them hard. So there's tons of grain in cow patties out on the pastures that's where we'd always see them out but at the same time the hens could go and nest in the timber where there was a uh, pretty good understory pretty good cover better than average but better than better than what most of the 
beef operations were when the when they were just roaming through the timber, um, the cows that L- is. Loafing loafing of dairy cattle and beef cattle is different. Yeah, and that's where, you know the loafing the time of the day after they're they're done they're bedded down feeding after after feeding basically they're in that shade and that's the timber. Yes. From the beef cattle standpoint, and that could be in barns or close to the barn for the dairy cattle. That's right. And so that's the biggest difference. And so now it's like, okay, well, that's one of the biggest, most important things, keep the cows out of the timber. And, uh, you know, that, that's not happening. That wasn't happening for a long time on my family farm. And still portions of my timber, they're still in. Um, that's going to change very, very soon. Um, so anyway, there's my analogy on, on why dairy farms are significantly uh, – and, and, and honestly, a lot of times that they're doing sorghum as well. Yeah. And planting grain, they're still... Or planting alfalfa. Correct. Or or planting corn. To feed the nutrition that the cows need to get the most out of milking-wise production from those. That's a food source down the road for a turkey. Most dairy farms, especially in southern Missouri, it may be different in your part of the country, so I'll, I'll, I'll put it in southern Missouri. Most dairy farms weren't a complete fescue operation. No. A lot of them had uh, corn silage or sedan grass, sorghum silage. Um, there was alfalfa, um, all things that turkeys love. And uh, a lot of disturbance, so there was a lot of summer annual weeds. Um, it, just, it just set up well to have, to have turkeys. Um, cows not in the timber. So that's kind of an analogy of but why, and the dairy farm analogy. Um, so, once again, this management, we've got like, we've got eight serious ones, couple couple others that you can add that are more of a kind of manipulating the habitat to make your hunting better. But there's really eight here that are pretty good sound management techniques or things you can do this time of the year or that you want to do earlier in the year or at different times of the year to make them maximized at this time of the year for uh, more turkeys, more hunting opportunities. Um, one of our favorites, before I, before I jump into number one, this management also, if, if we really broke it down and we looked at, okay, let's talk about native plant restoration, uh, native plant communities. So let's plant a, try to replicate a prairie it's great for turkeys in a in a in a sense. Uh, now it wouldn't be awesome. It wouldn't kill a ton of turkeys if your whole place was a prairie. Hopefully, I don't have to explain that. Uh, explain why. Um, but there's a lot of things that we're talking about right here that goes way beyond just the benefit to the turkeys. And the reason I say that is because there are some other things that get promoted as one of the best things you can do for turkeys that aren't really beneficial to a lot of the other uh, native species. For example, a chufa food plot. Uh, yep. A, a, a chufa food plot is like, uh, it's yellow nut sedge. And Which is a native wetland plant and, or more and wetland so soil. You could plant it. I don't even know what it's called, what they call it in the bag, but you could plant it and have some success on turkeys. But it's really just... Uh, it's a band-aid. It's a crutch. Let's think about more sound habitat management that helps other species out. Um, so that's what these next few are. One of our favorites, uh, one of my all-time favorites. All-time. Get ready. All-time. Don't leave us hanging. Come on. Old field management. Ah, There it is. Old field management is one of those things where it, it, it could look totally different in one part of the country compared to another part. Yeah. Um, but I'll explain what old field management in, in some of the ideal scenarios um, that we see that's just like, golly, that looks awesome. Um, what was once pasture, let's just say you bought a piece of property, used to have cows on it, used to have horses on it, had livestock on it, uh, has some sort of cool season non-native or warm season non-native. Let's say it's Bermuda grass. So let's say... Maybe you're in a world where it's tall fescue, and you have a bunch of tall fescue growing in a in a field, five-acre field, and there are some saplings coming up. There are some pockets of weeds and other things where 
you bought it and hadn't been livestock on it for two or three years. You're noticing it's kind of growing up, but it still looks stunted. Um, old field management is one of those, go in, remove the cool season non-native, and watch the seed bank explode. This is one of those where you're going to see a lot of forbs come up, a lot of weeds, and you may be scratching your head saying, I just created a huge weed mess. Bingo. That's what we like, depending on what weeds are there. Now, if it's a bunch of pigweed or mare's tail, we'd say, eh, there's some other stuff we'd rather have. But here's the thing, people. But that's going to change, though. It will change. The, usually the first year is, is these uh, these summer annuals or these winter annuals, What depending on what time of the year that disturbance that uh, that releases all these others to grow, these other plants. Um you're going to see just an explosion of annuals turning over to perennials. That's where that early successional comes in. Is If it starts to turn into more perennials, you can do another disturbance, a light dormant season disking, light, st- strong on the light. Um, or you can graze it uh, during, let's say, uh, early in the spring to try to, try to stimulate some summer growth. Uh, there's different things you can do to try to get more of these annuals rather than a, a whole field of perennials. Matt, you got anything else to add? Or I'm you just, got anything I, uh, you want? I'll keep describing it. So, ideal scenario, oh, okay. we've gone in and we've sprayed it, and we've got common ragweed coming up. We've got pokeberry coming up. We've got some bramble patches of blackberry or raspberry um, kind of scattered around. We have a bunch of shrubs coming up, sumacs coming up. We've got uh, probably some staghorn, uh, staghorn, sumac coming up there's a few oak sprouts scattered out through there oh lord please fingers crossed we got american plum thickets you know scattered in through it um and that's what we're looking for we we've got this just flush of and there's golden rods and there's uh some asters thrown out there whatever it is we've got a mix of forbs um we've got a mix of grasses we've got a mix of shrubs and in each one of those, there's a multi, there's multiple species for each category, and that's just one of those things that can happen for a lot of people. If you have an open area and you're trying to figure out what to do with it, that's one option. Another option is if it's an old crop field or a, a really overgrazed pasture, you may have to plant some natives. Um, but we're just trying to get some height up, uh, get some plants that are a little taller, um, but also provide great food. So what does that mean for a turkey? Great nesting habitat, yeah, great incredible. bugging habitat. Um, habitat, and if you've got it, if it if it had some disturbance, if it had some cattle in it, you've got some trails, maybe some uh, cow trails scattered out through it to where there's great uh, there's weeds growing up, kind of a canopy to protect a little uh, turkey poult. Uh, at the same time, it's brought in some insects, and uh, so old field management. It has the potential to bring in a, a ton of insects, and that 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 small short canopy that these birds need it's a very very vital from uh aerial predators they need that protection they may be able to hide very quickly so it's great nesting and then brings that brood on up to you know juvenile sized turkeys right there in an old field stand that's maintained it is diverse and that's, that's right. what you need so i think i believe it's 70 percent of a poult's diet is insect based for the first four to six weeks of life if you don't have something that's going to bring in insects, well, the poults have a potential of starving. Like, they need that food. That's and why that's, that's diversity why uh, and, and a lot of times uh, native plants, these native wildflowers or um, a lot more bigger blooms or more attractive blooms to the native species. It's not just a honeybee, but all kinds of different other insects that are coming into these blooms. That's why soybeans don't rank very high on my list of things to plant for a uh, for a wild turkey. No. Um, and so old field management or a prairie, uh, a native grass, wildflower, pollinator. Let's say pollinators there we go. Like are that. another huge benefit to a wild turkey. So there's, there's a lot of things you can do with just old field or pollinator slash native plant restoration that it ranks way high on my list. If I put it at a, if a, on a scale of one to ten, uh, it's an eight, and it's only an eight because Super it and it could be higher eight. than that, but it doesn't have everything that I want for the full year uh, of 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 
uh, providing for our wildlife. It doesn't have the uh, – if you Mass threw in production. shrubs and, and different things, I'd say rank it at a 10. Um, where does a food plot rank to me? Way down way down the list. Uh, five and a six. Um, maybe, depending on what we're even planting. Um, next one, another huge one. Old, so we did old field management slash native prairie, native plant restoration. Next one, what do you think? Goes hand in hand. Prescribed fire. Well, no doubt you got prescribed have fire it. is a huge thing. Uh, if you want to, if you're going to ask me, uh, what's the most legal way of baiting for turkeys? I'd probably say prescribed fire. Yeah. Uh, if you got turkeys in your area and you're looking for a way to attract them onto your land, try to burn right before turkey season opens up. Um, turkeys love scratching around in burned areas, so it's actually something. Uh, this is going to release on Tuesday. I don't know what date that is, but fast forward six days or full five days, it'll be the opener of Missouri turkey season on the 15th. Yeah. And so know. we're actually going to try and get back home and burn uh, towards the back end of this week. So if that tells you anything about where it ranks on our priority list, it's way up there. Well, for, Prescribed for, fire. For many reasons, because it, it's not only a management tool for, for resetting the vegetation, but you're making a lot of um, insect earthworms, those sort of things, much more available and accessible to turkeys. It's it's basically picking up a carpet, peeling it back and saying, have at it, boys. And they literally flock in, excuse the pun, but now they have that food source much more easily accessible um, and it offers a, a lot of opportunities, too, for strutting through there because you've, you've opened up a lot of underbrush um, so that you can see much further. I mean, in turkeys, people are always asking, how quickly do they respond to it? It's like maybe a day. Burn, burn <laughs> in the afternoon, and they'll be in there the next morning. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, exactly. So it's really, really attractive. Um, so prescribed fire, and that's where it, prescribed fire is great. Now, if you burn the whole place, uh, it could not be – not so great. Um, trying to diversify. That's the difference between, you know, fire ecology. We're talking about native fires. They were huge for the most part. Uh, if we're talking about the Midwest. Um, but we're talking about when we use them on our farms, it's break it up into quadrants where you're burning burning something every single year, but not burning the whole place every single year. You've got to have different succession, stages of succession across a property to have the good nesting cover, to have good brood rearing cover, to have good uh, attractive cover and strutting opportunities for adult birds. You've got to have a mix of everything. So breaking that up and rotating the way you use prescribed fire is, is the best way to do it. So next thing, it kind of goes back to something Matt talked about with the insect diet, but managing forbs for turkeys. How we're not necessarily managing for turkeys. We're more managing the forbs for the insects to then bring in the turkeys. Oh, it's, this it's is food chain. All right. I want people to hear me very clearly. Oh, gosh, guys. Yeah, I, I, this is serious. This is the difference between managing the land and managing for a specific species. And this is why I'm so adamant on on diversity and not planting monocultures. Switchgrass monocultures are very, very popular right now. This is the issue I have with switchgrass monocultures for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think they get too thick for a deer to really want to use them. Um, I've seen that on multiple properties. But they don't do a doggone thing for a turkey poult. They get so thick, it's not easy for a turkey poult to move around. It's not even... It's not even, uh, it's too thick for an adult turkey to really even move around on them. But what attractiveness is there in switchgrass monoculture for insects to bring in, uh, to bring in insects for a diet of a, uh, of a wild turkey? I'm, I'm not really thinking. I, I can't think of hardly anything. There might be a stray bug that fought, finds itself uh, in a switchgrass planting, but, the cha- but odds are there's not going to be a turkey in that planting to then eat that insect. Uh, monocultures aren't a great idea for it, for trying to bring in insects um unless that's where you start seeing some problems of predator and prey insect species so diversity just rule of thumb great thing to have so how do we create that pollinator habitat's a great one go ahead real quick if you have that switchgrass monoculture it's not the end all do some dormant season disking open up the dirt a little bit let some forbs come in there diversify it yourself 
maybe burn it and then do a little bit of disking. That right there will help get the Forb expression and fight back a little bit of the Switchgrass, stunt it as much as you can, and get some more for Forbs in there. And that's not a burn on Switchgrass. Switchgrass is great. Um, but once again, naturally occurring landscape, it's not going to be... Too much of a good thing is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it's like if fertilizer is a great thing to have, yeah, okay, if you're making that argument... If two tons per acre is required, four tons an acre or five tons an acre isn't isn't best. I'm going to grow is a forest in a year. And so uh, switchgrass like is great, but a whole field of switchgrass isn't great for the overall land. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's a big issue I have with that. So managing forbs for wild turkey, bring in diversity. You want to bring in some sort of flowering plants um, to where you bring in insects to where you're providing more more food for your white. Uh, for your wild wild turkeys. I think uh, that one, to me, is is a big one that's overlooked. Um, next one. This goes right in with Kyle and uh, Frank's uh, study. They've been on the podcast like three different times now, um, and they're going to be on it more in the future. Uh, managing man working lands for wild turkey. That goes with the dairy farms and the correlation of you see, I've seen a lot of turkeys around cows. In fact, we had oh, a friend yeah, a in Florida. I don't know how it did it because my turkeys don't ever act like that. But they just walked right that, through that yeah. the crowd or the herd of cows. They're just grazing right along. I mean, they, they were almost ducking under udders. They were that close. Yeah, they were <laughs> I mean, right there. Yeah. Right there. Um, so if you're a guy and you're like, man, I'd like to have cows. I want the tax benefits. I want to eat. I want to eat the meat. Um, Cows aren't aren't a negative to wild turkeys. Uh, I think it's got to be managed. They have to be managed appropriately. So keep that in mind as well. Um, once again, replicate nature, rotational graze, mob graze, whatever you want to call it. Uh, rotational grazing to where you're really replicating that bison herd moving across the landscape. Graze a little bit, keep moving. Um, could be great. You get that disturbance. You get these annuals that come up because of that disturbance. You get shorter grass, but you don't lose all your cover. Um, their manure and urine bring in other insects. Uh, man, what's not to love? It's got to be. It's got to be managed. It's like you wouldn't again use prescribed fire on an entire property. Well, I wouldn't just let cows out just to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. It's just managing a herd. That's all it is. Next one: fallow food plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many Big times? We're a land. Right I, I have a really hard time ever describing exactly what we do, because we we say kind of the rule of, the, we could even call ourselves environmental restoration consultants, or we could call ourselves land and habitat consultants. That's usually what we go with. Um, but another side of the business, honestly, when it comes to the farm, is is a financial consultant on. Where should you spend your money? Where should you not spend your money? And where should you put all your money in your food plots? Or should you put all your money into timber stand improvement? Where should you put your yearly budget for the farm? And it's not even necessarily financial, um, but it's a time. No, where, time too. Time is money. Totally get that. But where are you putting your time at? That's just as important because either one of them is going to be a limiting factor. Time or money on most places. So you got to manage that. And food plots are expensive. They're one of the biggest, most expensive things that we could, we do in a year. So how can you not plant a food plot but still make it beneficial to wildlife? Um, and there's a lot of our listeners that use a disc or plow. Hopefully, if you are one who turns the soil, hopefully it's a light disking, even though I'm still not a huge fan of it. Hopefully it's just a light disking. Um, you've heard us talk about dormant season disking. I use this analogy for most of our clients. If you take a square yard um, and you do a light disking, a third of it is turned up. The other th other two-thirds is not. Um, so it's a very light disking. Um, but if you're one of those people and you disc your food plots, here's a way that you could not plant a food plot but still make it beneficial. You do a disking, you plant corn or you plant soybeans. The next year you let it sit fallow. And you let weeds grow up. That is basically the first stage of an old field. It's just, Lord. again, annual weeds. That's covering food. 
I mean, it's super simple. It's that simple. I don't know how many guys are pulling like, over to change guys, their drawers right now because we just we just really scared them. We're like, they said what? Yeah, I know. We're gonna let it grow up in weeds. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. That's a lot simple. of times, if you do that disking, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to come up. We, nobody can say what's going to come up. You could look at the edge of your food plots where you've disc, but you didn't plant or you, you didn't spray, and, and you're looking around what came up. And there's a good chance common ragweed may be involved or, or a giant ragweed or pokeberry. Who knows? Who really knows what's going to come up? Hopefully you're not in an area that's going to be infested with a bunch of, uh, with a bunch of even Maristel. Let's just take Maristel. I've seen deer browse it. Deer definitely browse it. Um, deer browse pigweed. It, they hammer pigweed. Yeah. Um, even even some of the real spiny pigweed, they still mm-hmm. eat it. Sure do. Um, if it grows up, mare's tail is one of those big, tall stem canopy, uh, somewhat of a canopy. It's boo. Uh, it's okay if, to like weeds. It, if you are looking at the value of fescue versus mare's tail in a comparison for wildlife i'd rather have mare's tail um because it's at least tall it's at least got a canopy um and deer eat it uh they can actually break it down so i would say that i would hazard to guess that turkey eat the seed and quail uh, eat the seed uh so there you go um we're just trying to get some forbs to grow up some some sort of annual to grow up with still that corn stalk maybe some grain still still left in the field um, it's awesome attraction uh, attraction for for wild turkey canopy for the poults, but still that exposed ground to where they can still move around. It's it's pretty stinking awesome. Plus, it didn't cost anything that second year. And, and truthfully, if you have a field, you don't have to leave the entire field. Split it in half. Plant something else. You know, maybe you throw in soybeans, and that's that's half a food plot, and you've got you know a soybean plot, and then the other half is a fallow cornfield. That's so, fine. If you have, if you have, every year you plant three quarters of your open areas, and you just move that around to where you plant three quarters and you leave a quarter of it fallow. That's you're simple. saving money, so that's that's a big one. Saving um, money, but offering food and cover. Clover plot food. maintenance. Clover plots, huge attraction. I don't know how many turkeys I've shot in my life out <sighs> of out of clover fields, but a lot. Uh, when it comes to uh, turkey season, of course, soybeans usually aren't in the ground by turkey season in our area. Um, the clover and we don't right honestly now. we don't plant straight soybean fields a whole. We do it in first year plantings or areas that we want to have late grain, um, late season grain. But we really try to plant diversity. Uh, we're huge believers in diversity, especially when it comes to soil health. It's really hard to not look at if I, if you care about soil health to plant a uh, when you truly care about it to plant a monoculture. Um, so we plant so much heritage blend is what we plant. Um, that's a big one for us. And so, uh, none of those are planted by Turkey season for, for, uh, our area. So clover plots are huge attraction, uh, huge areas to, to harvest turkeys. One thing that we see a lot though, if you've got an area with red clover or even you just got a lot of, you had a lot of spring rains, clover can get too tall to where turkeys don't get in it right off the roost as much because it's covered in dew uh, and they're not going to go strut around in it so if it is getting taller maybe clip it back a little bit hit it with the mower knock it back down shorter um and in in our area and a lot of other areas in the midwest and southeast is you're starting to get a lot of those first time uh, weeds growing up that if you're if you're really concerned about uh, controlling the weeds and not let them take over you can clip it and uh, knock those back, shorten it down to where it's more of a strut area, but still has beneficial, um, beneficial aspects of it to uh, for the wild turkey. This is the this is the window that clover regrows very fast. This is optimal clover conditions this time of the year, so it will rebound very quickly. So your your mowing isn't going to stunt anything. Um, be, it's going to do more benefit than than anything else, honestly. And again, if you have a large clover field. Well, shoot, only bush hog or mow portion of it, half of it, where you want the birds to come out and strut, where you think they're going to come out and spend most of their time. It's just that simple. So it's a hunting strategy. taking that into into play, too, let's talk about, uh, you know, we, we talked about the fallow fields. Um, fallow fields is another thing if you're trying to, if you're trying to get um, 
turkeys strut in specific areas, you've got a lot of weed stubble or corn, uh, stubble. corn stubble. Go in and bush hog a half acre out and keep it short, knock it down short where they want to strut there. That's not really habitat plan. That's more manipulating what you have to create better areas. Uh, so that's something you can do right now. Keeping things short for strut zones, uh, mowing clover to keep it short. This was, Matt, uh, definitely this is something that um, you're going to see more. People are going to start doing it more. Uh, it's definitely manipulating the habitat. We're trying to really, really create optimal roost. <laughs> I can't oh, even gosh. do it without laughing. No, you know, everyone has seen these these different things that you're like, wait, people are doing that to try and, like, promote deer or, or I guess a, a deer, a buck bed or be, something be like that. Be careful what you're saying here. Ah, these crazy wild ideas. And and so I threw out the idea that we're going to start uh, to make a spoof video on, but is pruning roost trees to get turkeys to prefer to roost there. How about this, too? You, you, you prune out landing zones. Oh, yeah. To where there's a no limbs, strip. so they fly straight in the landing strip, down the landing strip, right in your food plot. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, I'm moving right on past that one. That was a joke, but we definitely had to mention it. That that way, in case somebody uh, starts if, doing yeah, it, you, heard it, you heard it here trees. first. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, our idea. Yeah, so we never next, went thing, through. next thing is, is thinking about the long-term benefit to, uh, to the turkeys, to the land, and this is young forest or small clear cuts, wildlife openings, we call them bedding thickets, created f for a lot of reasons. People, a lot of our clients get them recommended from us, um, very strategically placed on the property in, in uh, correlation with food plots and, and topography. trails and topography um, to really create great bedding for deer. But at the same time, this creates great nesting sites for turkeys. Um and it's basically just going into a, an acre, two acres, and just cutting 95% of the trees that are standing there. Creates a lot of uh, that, that, instant right. cover on the ground, but at the same time you get this forest regeneration, uh, young forest. Uh, we keep it burned to keep it back to where it's uh, in, a, in a young, beneficial state and not 15-foot tall saplings. Um, but it's great nesting for hens. There's treetops on the ground, and the, yes, you heard that right. As he said 95, but any anywhere above that 85 and plus percent of trees gone from that given area, what that gives you in return is sunlight in that area, treetops cover on the ground, and then you'll have that explosion again of annual weeds. I think we should just name this podcast Managing for Turkeys with Annual Weeds because there's a common theme here. It's it's nothing glorified. It's nothing more simple than just allowing annual weeds to really have a place on a property because it has that big of a role in managing turkeys. Next one, feathered edges. Um, I wonder what's going to grow along the feathered edge. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after you burn it, too. Oh, gosh. Um, so feathered yeah. edge. We want to create a, 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 a step-down approach. So you go from mature timber to a food plot or a field, we want to have multiple steps in that staircase. So you're going to have younger forest. Uh, let's just say you have mid-story trees. You have young forest. You have annuals and shrubs or uh, natives, grasses, native grasses brambles. and forbs, brambles, down into a food plot. So picture a staircase with two steps. We just took a staircase and made... 10 steps or 8 steps or 5 steps. And a lot of those steps aren't clear to find steps. They're just all thrown in there together. They're all growing amongst one another. But then you have, if you have, let's say, a clover plot that's got, you know, insects coming in or you've got, you know, feathered edge along um, a prairie, you've got those insects right there available. But instead of a, a poult or a hen, you know, steering her, her poults if they see a predator coming into mature open canopy, they're into thick brush and cover and shrubs where, let's say, a hawk can't fly into. How many times have you seen a hawk, you know, catch something, a squirrel, they flies from a field into the timber and, and will catch something on a limb, you know, whatever it may be. If there's poults in the ground, a bird of prey 
can't just go directly in there in that shrub cover and this feathered edge because it's so thick. And so there's this quick escape cover for young turkeys with feathered edges. We do it a lot around food plots um, for enhancement. Uh, it's replicating nature. And, it, it and, truthfully and so is. when you think about a lot of our landscape, open areas, prairies, meadows, glades, whatever they were, filled with a mix of grasses and forbs, um, depending on where you're at in the country, could be a good chance that they were burned both by lightning strikes or by Native Americans. Um, so fire ripped across these open areas and then slammed um, into the side of the timber. Uh, and as the fuel loads decreased, so did the flame height. So it created this, as you watch the flame slam into the side of the forest, it kind of then the flame heights went down gradual, gradual, gradual to where they weren't killing trees. So you had this very feathered edge. Um, and you'd have standing dead trees, but at the same time you had uh, you had trees re-sprouting, stump sprouting. Um, you had species that were a little bit more flame uh, resistant um, growing there. So uh, in a shrubby form to where you had just this great uh, transition. And we've lost that. Um, and so we're trying to replicate that with, with edge feathering. So great thing you can do. Once again, between all of these, you create a mosaic of uh, diversified habitat to where not only are we benefiting the wild turkey, we're benefiting the bobwhite quail. We can list out every single one of these again for bobwhite quail. Mm -hmm. We can list out every single one of these again for cottontail rabbit if we wanted to. Um, at the same time, they're benefiting the deer too. So uh, it's just prioritizing and, and saying, okay, you know, we probably would talk more about woody species when it comes to white-tailed deer. Uh, for the woody browse aspect, but at the same time, it's still going to benefit the white-tailed deer or, or the wild turkey. And uh, when you when you when you go back to those species, basically the differences is the amount across given areas of these annual weeds. Yeah, and the and then the different management techniques to get that expression back. But it's still the basis is native. That's yep. it. Replicating native landscapes, and so. All that being said, no matter all all the stuff you do, weather cycles don't cooperate, you're going to have a decreased population. That's just the way nature works. Um, but you're only going to feel said, it so bad, though, if you have the good yeah. stuff out here, right? But at the same time, and we have pretty good habitat for, for wild turkey at the farm, mm -hmm. and we don't want to have a great population because of the horrific spring floods we've experienced. And... Uh, but at the same time, we've had pretty good antler growth because research has shown that um, spring rains, and this was, that was mainly done in Texas, uh, but spring rains increased antler sizes. Well, um, I, I did that research when I was an undergrad um, in the Mid-Atlantic, and it showed that there, it was spring rains or annual rainfall itself actually played a role um, in antler expressions in year-and-a-half-old deer. Yeah. Not much in the older deer, but... Still, it, it plays an effect for sure. And so white-tailed deer hunter, he's praying for these spring rains. Go, man, I want bigger antlers, bigger antlers. But guys like Kyle and Frank, and I've heard him say this, is, yeah, they kind of want dry springs mm -hmm. because it's better for the game birds. That's more their thing. That's why if you step back and you're, and you're thinking about the benefit to the whole landscape, sure, years where it's a wet spring, okay, great. I know this species is going to express more. Oh, it's a dry spring. My, my food plots may not be doing as well. I may be going doggone it. I wish we'd get some rain, but at the same time, game birds and our, our, our ground nesting birds might be doing really good, so they need some help right now, so I'm hoping for a dry spring. We've uh, had a lot of rain between year, you know January 1 and now. Ground's yeah. pretty much saturated. We don't need any more. Maybe that's a sign of, of what's to come with Mother Nature. Yeah. And so later on in the summer, we may be bone dry. I may say, oh, man, I'm ready for some wet, I'm ready for some wet weather. But at the same time, take, it, take everything. Um, Look as a positive. blessing and a positive to something. Something's benefiting from it. So, uh, like, tornadoes are horrific. I hope nobody gets hurt in a tornado. But at the same time, when a tornado blows through a woodlot and it looks horrible. Sunlight, baby. I know, I know some wildlife are really happy. Yep. Um, so, anyway, those are all great things you can do on your property for wild, wild turkey. It's a hot topic right now. We're all chasing turkeys, thinking about turkeys. Um, if you're not get with the times turkey hunting is amazing get out and enjoy it <laughs> yeah if you're not then i'm sorry so we can't be friends anymore 
anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. Um, next week, you're definitely not going to want to miss it. We're going to have the guys from Strat Seed Company have some stuff coming down the pipe you have not seen before. So it's going to be awesome for some of you guys, um, for a lot of you guys, because I know there's a, a problem out there for you, and they might just have the answer for you. So anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time. See ya.